Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody that's here. Glad to have you with us online there. Uh, you're joining us there on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, at HBC Tullahoma, on YouTube, at Highland Baptist Tullahoma, uh, or our phone live streaming number there that you'll see on the screen is 855-532-4025. So uh, encourage you there, especially on the social media platforms there, to heart, to like, to share, to retweet, to subscribe on YouTube, give us a thumbs up on YouTube. Uh, that'll just help to get the word out more. Uh, the more subscribers we have, the more uh, uh, that we're able to do uh, with that. So uh, tag some people in the Facebook there. Uh, let them know we're live. Invite them to come and watch uh, with us if they're not here, coming here in person. Uh, go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's there under the info tab, just a few tabs over, that you can download the worship bulletin for today uh, and for this week. Uh, you can also download the children's worship bulletins there uh, under that info tab. So be sure to take the time to, to do that also. Uh, there's one for ages three and up and one for ages seven and up. Uh, both of those are in the windowsill over here, uh, as well as bulletins are around if you want to get one of those. Uh, under that web, that info tab too, also on the website there, you can find the prayer list for today, uh, for this week. So be sure to go ahead and get that downloaded. Uh, you can follow along with that on Wednesday nights with us, uh, but you can be praying all throughout the week for those individuals. We are still, uh, today is our last day in the prayer guide for uh, the, the week of prayer for Annie Armstrong for Easter offering. Uh, missions. Uh, the day is entitled United in Prayer, Day 8. And so this is day eight of that. So be sure to keep praying, uh, not only this week, uh, but all throughout this month and into the next month up to Easter there as we continue to collect that offering. Our goal is 7,000. I want to encourage you to take the time to pray about giving to that offering. Uh, you can do that in person with your regular offering envelopes, or there are some uh, that were around uh, that maybe you'll be able to find of a, uh, one of the offering envelopes for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Uh, you can just designate it on this one if you want. If you do it on the website, there's a choice there uh, that you get to choose for uh, how you want to uh, designate your gift. You can designate to budget. You can designate to benevolence. Uh, you can designate to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. So encourage you to take the time to do that. And then don't forget, we still have some more of these books. They're getting lower and lower. Uh, there's only a few left. Uh, so be sure to get one of those. If you've not got one of those uh, online, be sure. Uh, comment there. Uh, even if you can't email us, comment there in the comments on Facebook. Uh, let us know that. We'll get back in touch with you uh, to see how you want to receive that. Uh, if you can send us an email, you can do that at HighlandBaptistTullahoma at gmail.com or HighlandBaptist.cafes.net. Either one of those will work as well as you can get the, the numbers list for the book of Revelation. Uh, so either one of those you can request there. So glad to have you with us tonight. We've got things a little bit different tonight. We don't have a pianist. Uh, they're all uh, out and sick. And so uh, we're going to be doing some of our piano uh, via uh, audio here with the digital format. And then some of it we're going to be doing a cappella. So Brother Mike, come and lead us and you bear with us as we go through this. Please sing loudly on this one. This one's high. But... Uh, 202, take your hymnals and turn to 202, all hail the power of Jesus' name.
see on the far right hand side or left hand side sorry far left hand side down below the presentations you should see playlists and if you scroll down to the bottom of the playlist you should see the recent one for tonight 313 yeah 
uh, just have basically the main points and then you'll hear uh, me share with you some application points uh, near the end. Uh, because as we're looking at this, we're trying to follow Jesus uh, kind of chronologically as best we know uh, from the scriptures. Uh, there are some variations uh, that individuals have had over the years of, of what they believe, how the different pieces uh, uh, go together chronologically. And so that's why we are bouncing back and forth between some of the different gospels. Uh, we were in the gospel of John this morning. We're in the gospel of Mark tonight. You're going to see sometimes that we may jump ahead uh, in, if, in fact, if you look at this passage for tonight and what we'll be looking at next Sunday morning uh, in Matthew's gospel, you jump ahead to chapter 8. Uh, and, and so Mark's gospel tends to be, uh, for the most part, the guide, if you will, uh, for a chronological order. Not everything in his uh, is in a chronological order either. Uh, and so uh, just looking at those things, comparing them for where other things happen uh, in the scriptures uh, also. And so uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and verse 15, we're looking at the power of Jesus. And I want you to see Jesus and his message. This is the first point that we're going to look at. So let's stand and read God's word in honor of his word uh, as we begin here. So verse 14 begins, Now after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for all the many blessings that you have given to us. Lord, we thank you for your truth and for your word tonight, we ask, Heavenly Father, that you will speak to us in a powerful uh, and a mighty way. We ask, Lord, that as we look at your word tonight, may it be powerful, may it be alive, but may it also be applicable to our lives. May we understand more of the life of Jesus as uh, some of these passages will overlap each other, uh, as we kind of go back and then bring us to the, where we are in the current uh, life of Jesus. So, Father, I just pray that uh, as we do that, may you help us to see some things that maybe we didn't see in some of the other Gospels. And Father, I pray that uh, it will be fresh, it will be alive, it will be uh, re renewing for our hearts and for our spirits. So bless your word tonight uh, that we might keep your word and receive the blessing of keeping it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you can be seated. So first of all, as we see Jesus and his message here, you kind of see this kind of jumps back just a little bit. Uh, so we're getting a little bit of overlap here. When we get to verse 21, we'll be catching up to where uh, we were this morning uh, with Jesus' life. And so Jesus preached the gospel. And Mark says Jesus began to preach the gospel throughout all Galilee when John was put in prison. And so that one statement in and of itself gives us a specific time. Uh, a specific date, if you will, uh, to, to fix the approximate time that Jesus began to minister in Galilee. We know that it happened uh, at that time uh, in these verses when John was put into prison. One year has passed between Mark 1, verse 13, the temptation of Jesus, and Mark 1, 14. So, as we said, Mark doesn't cover uh, the events that took place between the temptation of Jesus and the imprisonment of John the Baptist. Those are covered in John's gospel in John chapter 1 and verse 19 over through chapter 4 and verse 54. Uh, and so apparently here's kind of the order of events that was kind of like this. 
Uh, you have two of John's disciples, Andrew and Peter. And so you remember that message that we had a few weeks ago who became followers of Jesus uh, right after Jesus' baptism in John 1, 35 to 42. The very next day, Jesus, who's accompanied by Andrew and Peter, leaves Judea and goes into Galilee. And you might see some of this on your biblical maps that you may see uh, in, in your Bibles. It was there uh, that Philip and Nathaniel became followers uh, of Jesus in John 1, 43 to 51. And it was there also that the first miracle took place in Cana in John chapter 2 and verse 1 through 11. So Jesus then takes his family and takes his followers and he moves to the city of Capernaum. Now, do you remember whose hometown Capernaum was? Peter's. Uh, it's that place we talked about this morning uh, that the nobleman was from. Uh, and so Capernaum is on that northern edge uh, of the Sea of Galilee, right on the sea there. Uh, and, and that literally becomes the headquarters, if you will, that Jesus goes out from. You'll see him come back to that place. He'll go out to other places. He'll come back there uh, and then go out again. Uh, but he stayed there only a few days, probably just long enough to move his family belongings. The Passover was at hand, so Jesus went to Jerusalem to celebrate it in John 2, verse 13. And it was while he was there that the first cleansing of the temple happened, which we're going to look at later when we look at the second cleansing of the temple. And it's also the time when the conversation with Nicodemus happened. Uh, about the new birth. That's in John 2 through chapter 3. And Jesus then began to move through Judea. So if you kind of get the picture, Galilee uh, is here in the northern section. Judea is where Jerusalem is, kind of in the southern section. Here's the Sea of Galilee, and here's the Dead Sea. And you can see that in the maps and in the backs of your Bible uh, to kind of get that image in that picture. It's at that point that Mark and also Matthew pick up the story of Jesus's ministry. And the reasons why Jesus chose Galilee to be the center for his ministry is something we need to closely uh, look at. And, and so we're going to take a moment to look at that in, in these verses uh, that we just read. So especially as we see in verse 15, uh, we see one of the reasons that he chose Galilee is he says in verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And so the time is fulfilled for what? For the coming of the Messiah, for the coming of Jesus Christ. It was time for the salvation of man to come upon uh, the world scene. Two things were meant by the time is fulfilled or the fullness of time. Galatians 4 verse 4 says it this way uh, through verse 6. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
And so that's part of the, the, what it means that the time is fulfilled. You know, the world and religious events were ready for the coming of Christ. The law had done its work. It had shown uh, through the Jewish nation that we as people are sinful, terrible transgressors. And despite all of God's favor and blessings upon the nation of Israel and upon mankind, we still fail to worship God in love. And so the world now had has this picture uh, of the depraved heart uh, of mankind. Uh, the world was full of people who were spiritually starved. Uh, there, there was the worship of self and, and of pleasure and of, and of other gods and of philosophical ethics that left many people empty and many people barren uh, in their hearts. Uh, the souls of people were ready to have that hunger met. We also see that what the fullness of time means there is that the world was at peace at this time. There was an unprecedented peace that was happening under the Roman rule. Uh, the world was open, an open door really, for the spread of the gospel without any restraint. Uh, all that the Romans had done, the world uh, spoke Greek as a basic language. Uh, it made communication possible uh, between vast majorities of people. The Greeks, when they had uh, ruled the land, they had taught the people a common language. So that way, even if you were uh, from northern Africa or you were from uh, the, the Middle East areas there, uh, you knew the Greek language because the Greeks made you learn that. And so the Romans just continued that because everybody could speak it. And that made communication possible with different people groups. Uh, and so that made it more possible for the gospel uh, to spread. The world has now at this time a system of roads uh, for mass travel that has been unprecedented in the history before. And, and this would allow these Christian missionaries, Paul and Barnabas and Silas and, and Philip and all of those, to, to be able to travel to the farthest parts of the earth. It also would bring commercial travelers to those metropolitan areas where, where Christian believers were concentrated. So you've got people going and you've got people coming, unlike you've ever had at any point in history before at this time. And so prophetic events were ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. God had foretold that Elijah must come first. And we know that uh, that was uh, to prepare the way. We know Elijah came in the person of John the Baptist. But now John the Baptist is starting to pass off the scene. We read there that he was put in prison. Uh, he's starting to pass off the scene. And his ministry had all been all about preparing the way for the Messiah. And that had basically been completed. And so now it was time for the Messiah to appear in force, to take the forefront, and to proclaim the gospel of God's kingdom. So Matthew and Peter, in their gospels, as well as Mark, stress that the time is fulfilled for the Messiah to appear. Uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven and, and, and of God is, is revealed in, in different stages throughout history. Uh, there's the spiritual kingdom that is at hand. It's present right now. The present kingdom is, is experienced only by uh, receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. When you become a Christian, you become a part uh, of the king's family. Uh, you're a part of the kingdom of God. Uh, there's the professing kingdom uh, that is also present in this age. And that's referring to modern day Christianity in every generation. It pictures the kingdom of heaven uh, or professing Christianity uh, and what that's like, what professing Christianity <clears throat> will be like when Christ's first coming and his return. 
Uh, there's also the millennial kingdom. That's something that's still out there in the future. That's something we're going to see in the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights. Uh, the rule of Christ or, or the government of Christ that's to come on this earth. And then, verse, and then the fourth thing is, is that there is a perfect kingdom of the new heaven and the new earth uh, that is future beyond even the rule of Christ here upon this earth. And so we see there, first of all and foremost, the good news has come in the fullness of time. Uh, secondly, we also see that the good news has some conditions. Notice what verse 15 says again. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so there are the two conditions that we see uh, of the gospel. Repent and believe. Now, repentance by itself doesn't satisfy the law which was formerly broken. A person can repent and, and change from his former life, but repentance isn't enough. Payment and satisfaction had to be made because the laws had been broken. We had sinned. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And that's why we have to believe the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus lived that perfect sinless life. He kept the law perfectly. He, he, he lived that sinless life. And so Jesus is the one who make, made the perfect payment, who was the perfect satisfaction for our sins. He was the propitiation, a biblical term there, for, for our sins. As 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, he didn't know any sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so faith by itself uh, does not satisfy the law. Because faith without repentance, uh, without a true change in our hearts and in our lives, is insincere. It's just words only. It's just profession only. And so it presumes upon God thinking that he's going to excuse uh, all the things that we've done if we just profess with our lips uh, that he's going to be kind of a grandfatherly figure that's going to uh, pamper the, the grandchild. And, and so faith in Christ is his satisfaction for sin and repentance. Uh, both of those are both essential to entering the kingdom of God. Luke 13 verse 3 says this, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so we see Jesus uh, here and his uh, message. And then we come to this point that we come to here now in verse 16 down through verse 20. We see Jesus and his men. So a little bit of this overlaps again, uh, if you will, with Jesus calling his first disciples. So verse 16 tells us uh, here that passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his, John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat uh, with, with the hired servants and followed him. So notice some things here from these verses about Jesus and his men. These were not the religious leaders. These were not 
the, the, pre, the prestigious, powerful men. These were not the political leaders of the nation. Very simply, they were ordinary people. You heard that message that we did before on ordinary people that God calls uh, into his kingdom work. Uh, and so they're ordinary men engaged in, in the affairs of life, just like everybody else. They're just doing their normal uh, job, their normal business. And, and having said that, however, a question needs to be asked. If these men were just ordinary people, why did Jesus call them instead of calling the more gifted? Well, the answer lies in some of the qualities that these disciples had. Notice that they were diligent people. Uh, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew. What were they doing? They were casting a net uh, into the sea. A little farther up the lake, he sees James and John, his brother, and what are they doing? They're mending their net. And so Jesus was looking for people who are already working. Uh, you know, sometimes we think, well, I'm just too busy. I'm too busy to do things for the Lord. That's the person he's looking for. He's not looking for those uh, who, are, who are not going to take that responsibility uh, faithful. He's looking for diligent people. He's looking for faithful people. And, and notice another quality about these disciples. They were decisive people. That's what you see in verse 17, verse 18, and verse 20. He was looking for those who were looking for the Messiah and ready to follow him no matter the cost. He was looking for those who had that willingness to sacrifice everything in order to follow Christ, the Messiah. Many were looking for the Messiah, but few were actually ready to follow him. And so few, if any others, would pay the cost of giving up their business and of immediately following Jesus. But these men were willing to follow Jesus, and they did follow him. And in fact, you read there uh, in verse 18, it says, and immediately. They didn't waste any time. Uh, they didn't say, well, let me go take care of some things first, and, and then I'll come and follow you. Immediately, they began following Jesus. They were willing to follow him. You know, Jesus calls us to a life of work, not to a life of ease and comfort. He calls us to invest our life, not to waste our life. So make sure that you are being decisive, that you're being faithful also, and that you're investing your life and not wasting the time that God has given to you. Notice Jesus also calls disciplined people, as you see in verse 17. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, now notice they were brothers, and yet they were working together. And the fact that they were working together says at least a few things about them. One is that they had some good parents. Parents who had taught them to love and to care for one another. They were working with one another. And they came from this close-knit family, a, a family that worked together. They followed in the steps of their parents' teachings. Uh, they maintained that brotherly spirit throughout their life. But notice, James and John, despite their success as fellow laborers with their father, they sacrificed their part of the business. So think of it in this way. Either at this point, they were either present owners or they were going to be future owners by inheritance. And, and so we see that they gave it all up to follow Jesus. I wonder if we would do something like that. They gave it all up. That's a rare quality found in very few people. And then James and John, we notice also another quality about them. They were considerate of their father. Now notice they didn't leave him alone. They didn't leave him and say, well, Dad, it's all yours. Take care of it. You're done. Notice who, what, what we read here. Immediately he called them in verse 20, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. 
and followed him. So uh, they didn't leave him alone. They would have never done that. They cared for him. They left him with hired servants. How many of us would sacrifice though our inheritance to follow Jesus? Well, then I want you to see Jesus and his ministry as you come to verse 21 and verse 22. And this is where we have not been yet uh, in our other passages. So they went into Capernaum, the Bible says, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. So remember in our passage this morning in John's gospel, he was in Cana and a man from Capernaum comes over to Cana and says, I need you to come and heal my son. And Jesus says, I'm not coming, but your son is healed. And so that man eventually makes his way back to Capernaum. Now Jesus goes to Capernaum. They went to Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he enters the synagogue and was teaching. Notice where he's at. Where is he at? In the church, basically. He's in the, the place of worship. And notice verse 22. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So he, Jesus, he begins with worship immediately here in the synagogue. Uh, worship is focused on God, not us. Uh, Jesus was faithful to weekly worship, so wherever he went, he was always going uh, into the synagogue. He saw that as important. We ought to see it as important, to be in church. And we see that Jesus seized the opportunity to teach. That's what you see in verse 21. He entered the synagogue and was teaching. You know, opportunities have to be seized when they present themselves. Uh, we cannot let them pass because if you let that opportunity pass, you won't ever get it back again. So Jesus makes the most of the opportunity uh, before him. He seizes the moment because his time was short. He knew that. He already knew that he's going to have like three years uh, left uh, in, in ministry uh, to do all that God wants him to do in fulfilling the scriptures. And so he knows he doesn't have any time to waste. Here's what I want to tell you. You may have 30 more years in life. You may have three more years in life. But you need to make the most of whatever opportunity you have left. And that's what we need to learn from this also tonight. Time was short. So he sees the opportunity to teach. Uh, we have to use every minute to the fullness uh, because the night is coming, the Bible tells us, when no man can work. And there are several mistakes so often that we make with time. We can lose time. We just let it pass and, and we never seize that opportunity. Or we ignore time. We don't pay any attention to it. And before you know it, the day's gone. Uh, or we neglect time. We're just not concerned about it. We're just not caring. Oh, I've got plenty of time. And the next thing you know, I don't have plenty of time left. And so we also find that sometimes we can abuse time. Uh, we, we, we use time to do the opposite of what we ought to be doing. We're doing things that, that the Lord doesn't even uh, care about us doing. We misuse uh, that time by, by using it half-heartedly and, and inefficiently. Romans 13 Verse 11 and verse 12 says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Did you know that? It is nearer to you now than it's ever been before for you to be in the presence of God with your salvation completed there in glory. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. 
And then we see Jesus astonished the crowd in verse 22. They were astonished at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not like the scribes. That word astonished is a strong expressive word. Its literal meaning is to be struck in the mind, uh, to be astonished. It's almost like you think you say sometimes, it's like somebody hit me upside the head with a board with a two before. You know, make me get some sense about what I was reading. That's kind of here with the crowd. They were astonished. It's like somebody whacked them and, oh, wow, we can't believe what Jesus is saying here. It, it was struck, they were struck in their mind. They were stirred. They were moved by Jesus' teaching because his message was different and his authority was different. He taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Others professed to follow Jesus. But they twisted and they in, interpreted the law of God to their own liking. And, and what they followed was their own man-made religion. They were anything but followers of God. Jesus practiced and lived what he taught. And, and his life was so different from other teachers that people sat up and took notice of what he said. Notice also Jesus and his miracles. We see this in verse 23 down through verse 34. We first see his power over demons. And we're going to get more into this again uh, next week. But uh, verse 23 says, and immediately, get where he's at. He's still, get the setting, he's still in the synagogue. So immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So notice here uh, the need of this possessed man. The need of this man is the same need as the world today. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says this, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That is, the world lies under the influence and under the power and under the bondage and under the will and the grip of the evil one, the devil. And so this possessed man, surprisingly, we see he was in the synagogue. He was in the church. What was he doing there? Was he a regular attender? Or had he just come because uh, he, he, he came to hear Jesus? We, we don't know. We're not told that. But if he was a regular attender, then the synagogue probably was a spiritually dead synagogue. How do we know that? Because this man could attend services time after time and never got the help he needed spiritually. Think about this. How many sit in churches today, they hear the word of God week after week and never make a decision to turn from their evil sin. The possessed man, he rages and he cries out. He, he sensed and he jumped back from the purity of Jesus and he cried out and said, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? The unclean spirit was entirely different from the clean spirit of Jesus. And that unclean spirit recognized that Jesus had come to destroy him. That unclean spirit identified Jesus and he said, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
He confessed Jesus. You know, James says that the devils, the demons, believe and tremble. What an indictment against so many. We deny and the demons confess. Knowing that Jesus is the Holy One of God is not enough. A person has to believe in Jesus, has to love Jesus, has to be changed from the inside out, living a clean and a pure life. And then we begin to see the power of Jesus as we continue on in verse 25. It tells us, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. Think about that. When Jesus rebuked this unclean spirit, notice the words. He says, be silent or hold your peace. Shut up. Notice also the power of Jesus. He casts this unclean spirit out. How does he do that? He does it by his word. By simply saying, come out of him. The evil spirit does what? He obeys the words of Jesus. Understand this, conversion is always a convulsive experience. Change is convulsive. Uh, notice the impact on the people when this happens. In, in the next verse, it says, after the spirit came out of him, they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. They were amazed. They were astonished. We would have been too. What the people had witnessed something unbelievable. They'd never seen anything like this. I mean, you think about that. Today, we've seen movies, and we've seen movies sometimes that maybe portray, or even documentaries that will portray exorcisms and things like that, and, and, and you see that convulsive. And so we've been a little bit more desensitized. They had never seen anything like this before. Nothing like this had ever happened in their presence before and so uh, what they witnessed was unbelievable and the questions begin and the talk begins and the buzz uh, begins to, to, to spread amongst themselves. And the people were doing just what Jesus had wanted. They were questioning, is he the Messiah? Because every one of us has to come to that place. Is Jesus the Savior? Is what he said he did what he did, and was it enough to save me? And notice here that his fame spreads everywhere. Imagine the conversation in the stores. Imagine the conversations at the businesses and at homes and streets as people traveled all throughout the area and throughout the world and the noise began to spread when we saw this awesome thing happen and there was this guy who was in church he was a, he was there at the synagogue and maybe he had been coming all this time maybe he hadn't but jesus uh, speaks to him Th this demon speaks to him first and says what have you come to do to to destroy us and jesus says be quiet come out of him he came out of him i mean it was a it was a 
wow experience. This man was convulsing, and, and then all of a sudden this demon comes out of him, and the man was changed. Totally changed, uh, 360 degrees, uh, 180 degrees from where he was, uh, becoming a new person in Christ. And the, and the word begins to spread throughout all the land. We see his power over demons, but notice also his power over disease. Verse 29. And immediately, that word you're going to see all the time throughout the Gospel of Mark. Immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew. Because remember Simon Peter, his home was there. That's where uh, we're going to find out in just a moment that Simon Peter's mother-in-law uh, is sick. And so uh, he goes to the house of Simon and, Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. So the, the worship of Jesus brought his presence the person or the family who worships is more likely to have the presence of the Lord in their home. And so notice worship and faithfulness to God instill this sense of, of God's presence in the home more than any other thing. And then notice the presence of Jesus brings hope. Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And so now there's some hope. I mean, Jesus just did this to this man who was possessed with the demon. Surely he can take care of, of Simon's mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law, who lay ill with a fever. Uh, the implication here is this is a great fever. It's a burning fever that, that's gripped this woman. And the family believes uh, believe that Jesus cared and can help. And notice something. They hadn't known Jesus that long. He was just at this point beginning his ministry. And yet they had already learned of his immense compassion and his love and his care and his interest for people. Because if that guy who was possessed with the demon had been coming all along to the synagogue, nobody was helping him. But Jesus reaches out to help that man. And yet here they were as they began to see his compassion and his love, his care and his interest for others. And yet they're willing to bring all their problems and their sufferings to the Lord. And so knowing of his care for people, it was bound to arouse the hope, surely Jesus can help us. And so the presence of Jesus brings healing and brings help. Notice, and he came and he took her by the hand. And lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she, whoa, whoa, wait a second. She did what? She began to serve them. That's totally opposite of what we would be doing. We would want to be taking care of her. Are you sure you're okay? Can we get you something? Can we get you some water? Can we wipe your forehead? Everything okay? What we find here for this woman, for this mother-in-law, is notice here Jesus' response. It was immediate. He touches. His touch was full of compassion and authority. And the presence of Jesus brings devotion and service. That's what the presence of Jesus in our life brings. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law so she might serve. He didn't heal her to sit and pass the time of her latter years doing nothing of real value. She was elderly. She was the mother of Peter's wife. She, he, Jesus healed her so that she might become devoted to him and become a servant to all and to show his power over disease. And she fulfilled her purpose 
she began to serve them. Two things are, are desperately needed in the sick world in which we live in. One is hearing the good news that Jesus has the power to help. And the second is coming to Jesus for help. Just imagine, the Son of God is available to help and to solve the problems of all the world. What the people had heard is the message of the gospel, that Jesus has the power to help. He cares about helping, and he cares about healing, and he will help. And all that we need to do is to believe the message and come to him. Jesus did have, and he still does have, an open door for all. Because notice what happens in verse 32 and 33. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And notice verse 33. And the whole city gathered together at the door. Wouldn't that be an awesome sight to see today? That the whole city is gathered at the door of the church. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing to see? As God begins his work, the whole city is gathered at the door. How does all of this happen? What is the secret here of Jesus' life? I want you to see that as we come to this closing section here. Uh, and we're not going to get too far into this part about him cleansing the leper, just barely uh, into it. But I want you to see the secret of Jesus' life uh, here in verse 35. Where can we get that kind of power and that kind of strength to get through every day and the troubles that life brings because understand what Jesus is doing he's healing everybody that they're bringing to him uh, he's he's delivering those who are oppressed by demons and the whole city is gathered at the door of Peter's house and notice why how was he what was the secret of his life well one he was devoted to the practice of prayer so if you don't get anything else get these three points that he was devoted to the practice of prayer. Because that's something we need to be devoted to in our own hearts and our own lives. Notice verse 35. So the next morning, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And notice two facts here about Jesus' prayer life in this passage. Notice when Jesus prayed. The Bible tells us here, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark. Now, some of us, we're not morning people. I'm not a morning person. Some of us are night people. Some of you are morning people. <laughs> yeah, I was pointing at my wife for those of you on Facebook there. <laughs> Notice when Jesus prayed. Remember, the day before had been the Sabbath day. It had been an extremely tiring day. Jesus had been healing person after person after person after person. He had taught the Word of God. 
He had expended this enormous energy in teaching and in ministering. He had been up late at night ministering to the whole city that had flocked to the house where he was staying. Every muscle in his body must have ached, craving rest. And yet, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. You know that even if you're not a morning person, there are times you need to be a morning person. There are times you need to get along with the Lord. You need to make that extra special effort, even when you're dead dog tired. That's where Jesus was. It was still dark. His body is aching and his muscles probably craving this rest. And early in the morning must have been the habit of Jesus because we see that many times in his life. The fact that Jesus prayed in the early morning hours made a lasting impression on his disciples. But remember, this is the launch of Jesus' ministry. So probably one of the first times that the disciples have an opportunity to observe his prayer life. They've not seen him praying before. So this is one of the first times, if not the first time, that they see him get alone early in the morning while it's still dark uh, and, and go and pray. Now notice also not only when Jesus prayed, notice where Jesus prayed. Note the words there. He departed into a desolate, into a solitary place. Desolate, the desolate place there is not mentioned. We don't know exactly where that was. It could have been somewhere out in the countryside. It could have been a quiet orchard. It could have been a, an abandoned building. It could have been a grove of, of olive trees. It could have been anywhere. But the fact of importance is, is that he had a place where he could be alone with the Father. So, so get the picture here. Uh, as he's at Capernaum, it's on the seashore there on the Sea of Galilee. He could have went down by the sea. He could have went down where you're hearing that water lapping up on the shore uh, before the sunrise even comes up. And he's hearing that and he's spending some time there in prayer with the Lord. Wherever it was, it was a place where he could be alone with the Lord. He needed to be alone with the Father. And so if Jesus, the Son of Man, needed so much time alone with God in prayer, how much more do we? What an indictment against so many of us as believers in our prayer life. Notice he was also directed by the power of purpose. He was directed by the power of purpose. That's something we need to be doing in our own lives. Notice verse 37. So Simon and those who were with him had searched for him. And verse 37 says, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Notice Jesus' second source of power here was his sense of mission, his sense of purpose. Uh, notice what happened here when Peter and the others get up from their sleeping. They look around, where's Jesus? Jesus is missing. And they ask around, and, and they begin to search around, and finally they find Jesus wherever it was that he had been. Must not have been too far, but he was in a desolate place alone. And they followed him, and the word followed means strongly pursued, and they found Jesus, and they were emphatic. They said, everybody is looking for you, Jesus. They're ready to follow you. Let's help them. Luke shows us just how strong uh, the urging uh, to stay in Capernaum was. Uh, when we look at Luke's gospel in Luke 4, verse 42, it says, And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving. 
They didn't want Jesus to leave from Capernaum. And they stayed with, they stayed him, uh, is the way another version puts it, that he should not depart from them. That word stayed is strong. It means to hold back, to hold fast. They tried their best to keep Jesus there. They weren't going to let him leave if they could prevent him from doing so. And the force of the urgings uh, by the disciples and the people showed just how strongly convinced Jesus had to be of his purpose. And, and, and he, had, he had it made, so to speak, in Capernaum at this point. He could have stayed there in Capernaum if he wanted. But notice that the people were stirred and they were motivated to follow God. And there, there were tremendous needs yet to be met in the cities and the surrounding areas around. And this great ministry uh, could be performed right there in, for God in Capernaum. Uh, there wasn't any need to go anywhere else, not in the people's minds. But Jesus' response was so forceful, he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns so that I can preach there also. Because that's what I came for. That's what I came out for. Jesus was thoroughly convinced, I cannot be deterred. I cannot be sidetracked from my purpose. Physical needs were present. They still existed. Physical needs still existed there in Capernaum. They existed in all the towns where he was uh, going to be going to. Uh, he would meet as many of those needs as possible. But his primary task and his primary mission was to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. What is our purpose? Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel. And we need to have that sense of, of determined purpose in our hearts and our lives to not let anything deter us from, the, from the, the purpose that God has for us. Notice he was dedicated to the priority of preaching, verse 39. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Think about this. Galilee had over 200 cities. Jesus went everywhere, everywhere preaching. He went, the Bible tells us, throughout all Galilee. He, he left no place untouched. And notice also that he preached in the synagogues, in the churches, if you will, of that day, using the structure of, of established religion. He did that as long as he was allowed. And he continued to minister. He continued to, to meet the needs of people as well as preach. Preaching was his primary mission, but while he preached... He also ministered to the physical needs. Uh, people had those physical needs and, and emotional needs and mental needs as, as well as spiritual needs. And so why would it be more important, though, though, for Jesus to preach the gospel than to heal? The reason was is because, and we've said this before, every one of us is going to die. He could heal them from their physical needs, but there, could, there would be that point they would still die. You know, healing deals with that which is temporary. But preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, deals with that which is eternal. Notice he was also driven by his passion for the poor. We need to be driven by a passion for the poor, for the, for the poor in spirit, for the poor physically even around us. He was driven for his, uh, by his passion for the poor. And that's what we see in, in verse 40 through verse 45. And we'll just read the verses and then say a brief word about this. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, 
If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity. Here's what Jesus did. He stretched out his hand and he touched him. Nobody touches a leper. They're unclean. In fact, they had to run around with a little bell and sometimes even put bells on their garments so they could shake their garment to ring those little bells and they would have to say, unclean, unclean, so that somebody didn't maybe accidentally bump into them. It was their way of keeping people around them from, from touching them. They never expected somebody to touch them. And so here was this leper who comes to Jesus and says, if you can, if you will, you can make me clean. I believe you can do it. And Jesus, moved with pity, stretches out his hand and touches him and says to him, I will be clean. Leprosy was one of the most feared diseases of the ancient world. This leper would have been considered one of the most unclean, one of the most revolting, one of the most hideous persons imaginable. Leprosy itself uh, was thought to be the result of some terrible sin and actually became the most dramatic type of sin in the minds of people because it was visual. It was something you could see on a person. And there was no known cure for leprosy. Only God was considered powerful enough to cure the disease. So in what we see here, notice, Immediately, verse 42 says, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go, show yourself to the priest and offer, your, for, offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out, so he doesn't do what Jesus says, he goes out. And began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So at the beginning, Jesus is going to city after city after city. Now you begin to see why Jesus was out in the countrysides, why he preached the Sermon on the Mount where he did, why he fed the 5,000 where he did, because he couldn't get in the cities anymore. And so what we learn from Jesus is to live the secrets of Jesus' life, we have to be devoted to the practice of prayer. And we have to be directed by the power of purpose. And we have to be dedicated to the priority of proclaiming the gospel. And we must be driven by a passion, a compassion, a love for the people around us who are hurting in their sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for showing us through this passage the power of Jesus. Lord, I pray tonight that the power of Jesus would begin to be made manifest in our hearts and in our lives. That it would be demonstrated in, in the way we uh, act, in the way we live. Lord, fill us more and more with your presence that as, as we see the hurt and the pain around us, may we... Even as Jesus did in a simple act of touching a man who had leprosy, what his actions, Lord, were so powerful. And yet so often our actions are so powerful because we avoid that person. We shun that person. And it sends a message to them that we don't care, that we don't love them. Father, I pray that you would fill our hearts with a love and a compassion for those who are around us who are hurting, who are suffering, who are in need. 
Lord, that we would just, even through the power of a touch, be used to show that love of Jesus Christ, that it would soften their hearts to hear the gospel message. Lord, help us to emulate and to live the life of Jesus, to live in the power of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us in our hymn of invitation. Y'all stand and sing with me on 302, I Hear Thy Welcome Voice. And I'll start it. I hear thy welcome voice that calls me, Lord, to thee. For cleansing in thy precious blood that flowed on Calvary, I am coming, Lord, coming now to thee. Wash me, cleanse me in the blood that flowed through Calvary. All hail, atoning blood, all hail, redeeming grace, all hail, the gift of Christ our Lord, our strength and righteousness. I am coming, Lord, coming now to thee. Wash me, cleanse me in the blood that flowed through Calvary. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us tonight there online. Thank you for being here uh, in person. Uh, we look forward to seeing you Wednesday night as we'll be back in the book of Revelation. Uh, you have a blessed week. We'll see you this Wednesday night.